Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm joined by the founder and president of Women's March Michigan, Phoebe Hops. Originally from Smithtown, New York, she's called Michigan home for over six years. Phoebe studied business management at Marymount Manhattan College, then went on to study project management at New York University. Phoebe traded a career in project management and global travel to dedicate herself full-time to community organizing. She became an accidental activist, tiptoeing into politics after the 2016 presidential election by simply creating a website for Michigan women interested in attending the Women's March on Washington. She organized thousands of women and their allies who took more than 100 buses from around the state to Washington, D.C. for the 2017 Women's March. Thousands more marched in cities like Lansing and Ann Arbor, Detroit and Marquette on the same day. A few weeks after the 2017 March, She partnered with other organizations to stage a massive protest at Detroit Metro Airport to challenge the travel ban that was in a presidential executive order. Phoebe's focus is on social justice, civil rights, racial equity, access to health care, and environmental protection as she prepares for the 2019 march. Participation in women's marches are an affirmation of the worth and dignity of all women and their families. In 2017, the march's focus was women's rights are human rights. In 2018, it was power to the polls. On Saturday, January 19, 2019, women will again be marching in Washington, D.C. with sister marches around Michigan and the country heralding the coming of a women's wave. Phoebe, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for such a beautiful biography, too, of my life and activism. Thank you. (laughs) I know. I mean, you know, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, when you were back there in school, had had you been involved in activism at all? I mean, had that been like part of your your growing up, you know, had you seen your mother, your aunts and stuff, were they like activists or involved in women's issues? Yes, absolutely. My mom, um, even my grandma, I mean, um, they've always been interested in activism. They've always worked, um, you know, actively in politics, whether it be in the Democratic Party or, you know, um, just for different 
initiatives throughout. So, and, you know, equal rights for women. So it was always inspiring. And I know living in New York, um, you know, and growing up in New York, you know, you were just exposed to so much out in New York City and just, you know, by chance running into rallies and getting involved in, you know, marches that you just fall upon. So, um, and I was, uh, um, I first was really interested in the Occupy Wall Street movement. And mm-hmm. I would go down to Wall, I was, I was living downtown and I would go down to Wall Street often for rallies around that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, because, I mean, you know what, and, you know, I have friends and family in New York. I'm in New York also. And, yeah, there is that, that vibe, you know, that, that you are aware and you often, like, you can walk past, you know, a park or be around school or be somewhere and you see people protesting, people talking about it. And so, I mean, I can see where, where that would, would really be a part of your DNA, as so to speak. When mm-hmm. you, but what had been your career goal? I mean, you hadn't thought of like, you know, well, and I don't think any of us really think, oh, I'm going to be an activist for life. You know, you always sort of think, well, you know, I'm going to go out and protest and do this and speak up. But you always think that you're going to, to, to do something else for a career payoff. What did, when did you, was it, was it not until you got here in Michigan that you thought about it? And what brought you to Michigan? Yes, so around um, 2012, I had um, I'd been dating my now husband, and we had visited Detroit a lot um, and see, to see his family and you know throughout the state. Um, and I had been working you know sixty eighty hour weeks in Manhattan. You know it was just work hard, play hard. Um, and when I moved, I convinced him to move to Detroit. He didn't really want to move home. He loved New York. Um, but, you know, we really couldn't see ourselves living out on Long Island or, like, up in Westchester to raise a family. And I was really inspired, um, you know, just the activism and the different things happening in Detroit. Um, so when we moved downtown in 2012, and I immediately started a women's organization. It was called Detroit Girlfriends in the City. It is still alive and kicking. It's on meetup.com. And, in fact, we're meeting tomorrow to go to a Beyonce dance party. Um, but... Um, I have been, that really pushed me into activism. We used to do um, give back days in the community over in Cass Quarter. Um, mm. you know, we worked a lot. We created an urban garden in Brush Park when everything, nothing was built yet. I mean, even back in 2012, it was the middle of the turnover and, you know, the whole arena and everything. So it was interesting seeing all that change downtown so rapidly. Um, and eventually we moved up north. We moved up north because we couldn't afford anything in Detroit. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it was, it was um, everything was priced really high to buy an apartment downtown. And you just, you know, you have friends and you just see that in- inequity and the, the, the problems that are, were arising with gentrification. And we didn't really want to be a part of that. So we got out. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, um, you know, you know, creating changes coming here. And I was talking to, you know, some of the organizers, and they were talking about, well, you know, Detroit, why would people come here? And, you know, and then I hear people like like you who are, like, from New York and go, oh, so much is going on. But, you know, Detroit has always had that. You know, there was, you know, the labor movement, civil rights. I mean, many many people are just, like, surprised when they learn that the I Have a Dream speech was first said here in Detroit, and that march 
was co-sponsored by labor. And it's been like that part where people have often come here from all over the place, from the northern migration to immigrants who got off the boat in Ellis Island and got on the train and came to Detroit for jobs. And it's always been like that melting pot. And it is changing now, which is, you know, there, there's good and bad, like you said. Like, I know about the community gardens. I know that, to me, there's almost like two Detroits, the one downtown yeah. and then the one out in the neighborhoods where people are still gardening and and finding their own way. But, you know, I guess it's sort of you got that and you came here, but then you couldn't afford to stay here. And I'll tell you, being yeah. from Detroit, up north to me is almost like going to another planet. How was that transition? It's been very interesting, to say the least. And, you know, I find myself every chance I get coming back to the city and coming back to Detroit. And um, I'm 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 waking up tomorrow morning at dawn and driving. (laughs) So, um, you know, that's – it's nice living up here. And I think after – you know, so many years and decades of madness living in the New York City area. Um, I just, I needed this in my, old, not older years, I'm only 37, but um, mm-hmm. it, it, it feels good to be up here right now and start a family. And, um, and I am newly pregnant. So oh, I well, am, congratulations. Uh, yeah. Thank you. We're expecting mm-hmm. a baby in August. And mm-hmm. so it just feels right right now. Um, just to be away from everything and just concentrate on myself right now. So, now, you but, must um, be pretty persuasive, though. You convinced your husband to leave New York, come back to Detroit, and now you're, you know, upstate. I mean, you must be yeah. pretty persuasive. I'm pretty persuasive. I'm a good salesperson. <laughs> how, how is he feeling about that? I mean, does, does he share your passion? Yes, and he's been the the greatest ally and supporter, um, you know, even from the very beginning, I'm, you know, I, I quit my regular work and job to do this. And he's just, he said to me after Trump was elected, he said, as long as we can afford to have you doing this work, as long as we can afford it, you got to do it. You know, you know, as, you know, he does work. He works a lot. I mean, he's in, he works from home. He's an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm grateful that he's, um, you know, just been so supportive of our organization, mm-hmm. whether, you know, paying for our initial um, legal fees to start the 501c3 to, um, mm-hmm. you know, me saying I need, I need to go to D.C., I have to go protest something, Kavanaugh, you know, him booking me a flight mm-hmm. with our miles that we're saving for a family vacation, you know. Um, Sorry, Phoebe has to head to D.C. instead. Um, you know, so I've always been really thankful for how supportive he is. And mm-hmm. you, you now, know. Mm-hmm. now I, I know you were probably like me, you know, on in November of 2016, I went to bed going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And then it was like, oh, God, you know, I tell people yeah. like for a while, you know, I had, you know, usually I listen to NPR first thing in the morning. I could not listen to it. I, I just couldn't hear it. And yeah. it was just like, ah. But like many women, after we got over that, that shock, like, you became an activist. You said, you know, when that time came for that rally, for that march, you're sitting there on your computer, like, organizing people. 
What? Yeah. How, how long did it take you to recover from that oh no moment to being like, we've got to do something and this is how we're going to do it? Well, the day after the election, I had a dental cleaning that I could not get out of. <laughs> it, was like, it was one of those, like, I had waited six months or something, and, like, they were going to charge me $150 if I canceled, like, for you, whatever. So I, I just pulled myself out of bed or off the couch, and I went to the cleaning in the afternoon. Um, and I, I remember the hygienist was beaming and glowing with her, like, pigtails, and I was just like, I bet you, I'm just, I know why you're happy, and I'm pissed. Um, so mm-hmm. I was driving along the waterfront of Traverse City and a bunch of people were gathered um, with candlelights and walking out okay. and this gentleman, um, a union worker in in, a, in um, a work suit jumped up on the table and grabbed the megaphone and he was an African-American gentleman and he said, now you all know exactly how we so every single day, scared that our civil rights are going to be taken away. We've been living like this for decades, my people. And, you know, Trump's face is really white. And that moment and what he said, I was like, oh, my God. That was my aha moment. Mm-hmm. And I got home, and I'm like, we've got to do something. This can't happen. And by the time I got home, I had friends in New York, and they were already seeing um it was it was probably early the next morning actually. Um, it was a blur after the election, and sure enough, people were RSVPing to a march in Washington, and they already had a New York to DC page. And I'm like, well, Michigan needs one. Like, we need to go. There's people in Detroit and Ann Arbor and Lansing that will rally and go. And um, so I created the site, and by the end of the weekend, we had over a quarter million hits on our page on the, on the Facebook mm-hmm. event. And um, we knew we were onto something, and we um, just started organizing. I started organizing with women I'd never met from around the state. Um, a woman, Megan, in the UP, up in Mar- uh, Marquette area, and then um, just people, key friends in with as well, um, Ann Arbor, student union groups, you know, just lots of different people. And, um, and we worked to get buses and mobilize people as well as support sister marches throughout Detroit and um, Lansing. And actually, there were so many. I don't know how mm-hmm. many anymore. But, um, yeah, so that was the beginning of it. And um, I'm really good at logistics. I'm a, I'm a pro at travel. And I have I realized in that process, the first month of planning the march, um, it was something that I would get a text message that someone needed a bus, and I would hop out of bed in the morning like, with joy to do this work. And it was the first time in my life that I had a job, an unpaid job, that would just let me, I would spring from my bed in the morning to get to work every day and do it all day and be really fulfilled and um, feeling like I was helping. So mm-hmm. that's how I became an organizer. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there were, they were going on every everywhere. And I know, like, I was in um, Ann Arbor and, uh, a mutual friend of us, Michelle Regalado Dietrich, said, you know, if you're not going to D.C., would you come up here and do it? I was like, you know, well, I couldn't go to D.C. And I said, okay, I'll be there. But there was that moment and that, you know, as we're standing there and you're watching these thousands of people, not only women, but families come in, and you could feel the emotion 
the fear, the concern, but also the resolve. It was just like one of those moments where, you know, it, it was you could feel the country, you know, the real country, our people, <laughs> real. what they were feeling. What did you sense that? And then also to recognize that this was going on all over the country, all over, you know, places outside of this country. Yes. What was your feeling as you were there and you started to to realize, you know, you had seen the numbers, maybe on paper, you know, I've got 100 buses and that means this many, but actually to see all of these people with this combined not only fear and trauma, but this resolve to not go quietly into this abyss. Yeah, the the morning of, um, I was in D.C., and um, I got up really early, and I headed to the mall, like, at sunrise before any anyone was there to set up our Michigan meetup. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I remember so nervous, like, this is either going to be the best day. Cause we weren't sure if we were going to have, like, people attacking us or, you know, people were going to get arrested or, or gassed or... Um, there had been a lot of um, a lot of protests to the to the inauguration the day before, with people lighting limousines on fire and you know really smashing windows. So we were afraid that the police were going to be after that. But the moment that everyone started coming into the city, it just swelled with this energy and this feeling that you're not alone, you know, and that this is not a hopeless situation, you know, and that our hope and our country and the spirit of America. It's in those people that believe in our democracy, believe in this country, and show up and take it to the streets. I mean, that's that's what that's how our country was created, on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was just this amazing moment in history, and you know, just to be there it was like it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it was like it was like something. It was so harsh, but it also brought people together. I was sharing with Michelle that I had this. I would say a middle-aged white guy, you know, who probably normally on the street we would have passed each other and wouldn't even looked at each other. But he was there with his daughter and his two young granddaughters. And, you know, and he said, I just want to say something to you. I'm going like, yeah, you know, he said it was so important to him <laughs> to have his granddaughters there and see all of these women from the diverse group, he said, because I want them to know that what they're seeing is not this country. And, you know, what they were seeing yes. on TV and that Trump wasn't. And it was just like, wow, you know, yeah. here this, this this horrible orange toxic dust had come over us, but at the same time it was pulling us together from from across our spectrums, you know. Yeah. What kind of conversations? Uh-huh. What kind of conversations did you have with people? What at the day after? How did you feel? The day after, you know, we, when we were exhausted, um, I felt we didn't know until we started watching the news because we didn't see any of the coverage, so we didn't know the numbers around the world yet, and it was just. It was mind-blowing. It was just, I felt honored to be part of it. And, but immediately my next feeling was like, you know, what is next? Like, this just, this is the beginning. Is this the beginning of a movement? Is this the beginning of um, an ongoing 
you know, fight that we're going to be able to sustain. Um, is he going to get impeached? Is this, you know, did this even mm-hmm. make a difference? I think I, I you know, I, I'm usually an optimist. Um, so I feel like there was still then the need to immediately go home back to Michigan and start really building. And that's when we had immediately filed papers. Because we knew that it was going to take voters. It was going to take um, really engaging the youth and engaging um, first-time voters and people who might, might have stood, sat out in this election to really um, unite and get them out to the polls. So we knew we would immediately have to start that work, you know, to get this, to get this on, the, on, on the road. <laughs> now, one of the things that you've done and that I get, but I know some people didn't get. Okay, the first year, it was the pink pussy hat, okay? Everybody and their mother was wearing a pink pussy hat. They were crocheting them. I got up there. I didn't have a pink pussy hat. People said, do you want mine? I'm going like, no, I'm good. You know, I'm good. But they were in all sizes, shapes. People were doing I said, there were cottage industries about people with, with their cat. I can make five more caps. But after that year... You made a. You thought about the pink pussy hat, and you said, "You know what? Not a not not a good look. Not not something we're going to be." Talk about what made you come to that decision. You know, it. The bottom line was that it it, it offended and hurt some people. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it, like let's look at um, people who wear who used to wear those headdresses. Uh, to Coachella, you know, or these music festivals. They were really, I think they were selling them at Forever 21 at one point. They were, they were in trend. I mean, even Gwen, Gwen Stefani had some, you know, was wearing them. And, you know, like, people, I think they were uneducated. They didn't realize how that hurt Native American people and indigenous people in this country. And, mm-hmm. um, and as soon as I learned that there was an issue with this hat, um, I immediately... I stopped wearing mine, and I encourage other people to do the same. And I don't think that, you know, the Pink Pussy Hats were a symbol of that first march, but I think that the movement is so much more than that. And you don't have to wear a matching hat to fit in here, you know, and I don't think that, um, I know, like, for example, this year they're pushing for blue to have um, a women's wave. People are wearing royal blue Hats, headdresses, um, like head head wraps, headdresses, head headwear, headgear. I guess you could say in general, um, scarves. Um, people are wearing blue, so it looks like a blue women's wave, um, and that's pretty cool. I think, you know, the pussy hats were a direct. They were a, they were a clap back at the whole Trump grab them by the pussy, and I felt like. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's not even give him power to even acknowledge the crap that comes out of that man's mouth. You know what I mean? I mean, I know mm-hmm. it was an epic clap back, but I feel like it, it's over. Now we have, we have other things, and we have bigger things to worry about right now. I mean, especially as the years go by after that first march, um, you just think it can't get worse. You know, right now we're dealing with that government shutoff, shutdown, and... Um, there's just so much going wrong right now. So um, I think people should come as they are to the events and, um, yeah, not worry about a pussy hat. They're, they're welcome, though. Mm-hmm. I, I do admit I'm looking at mine right now. I have it on my mantle. 
Because <laughs> it is a reminder of that day, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the work we put in to that day. Yeah, you know, I mean, there was something great about seeing all of them, but there was something also, like you said, something that you couldn't quite, you know, we wanted to clap back at his grab him by the pussy, but there was also that thing like, eh, I mean, and also knowing that I have friends and family who are transgender women and that not not addressing that or, or not feeling, making sure that everyone felt inclusive and that it was about more than just, you know, that. And so, I mean, and it went beyond that. So, I mean, I thought that was, and I thought it it was a message that went by, and, you know, and even afterwards I had ran into a trans friend of mine who said, you know, don't like that hat, don't like, she said, I get it, I don't like the hat. And I said, well, you know, going, we do get it, and there's conversation about that. Well, Phoebe, we're going to take our first break here, and then we're going to move on to the next year. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, if you're dry, just joining us, we're talking with Phoebe Hops about the Michigan Women's March. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Phoebe Hopps. You know, I, one of the things that I know many people thought that that was like a one-up thing. Yeah, they're all mad, and they came out, you know, in January, but they aren't going to do anything. Then, okay, there's this transportation ban, and there were women again. Women were like, you know, enough, enough. We're, we're doing this. And so, you know, moving on, so then we started talking about the elections and the importance of, of registering women, getting women to vote. But during that period of time from 17 to 18, as you were registering women, we know that there are women who had, have, and continue to vote against their own best interest, who don't get, you know, about yeah. the importance of, of, you know, protecting reproductive rights. Of, uh, you know, there's, and of course, during that period of time, um, there came out about the Me Too movement. So you still had women who were doing that, who were talking about that. But, you know, women were becoming mobilized, but we still had women who didn't quite get it. What was your message or what did you encounter as you were out trying to organize, register, get women involved, engaged, so that that year, as we were talking about taking it to the political power, taking it to the polls, what were your conversations with women, and did you get pushback from women? Um, absolutely. Well, we, we, um, a lot of, you know, we were registering a lot of people, 
We had a lot of different drives. We had an event in Flint, Michigan. Um, we had a lot of events, actually, that the past, you know, 2017, especially, or 2018, leading up to the election. I feel like a lot of people feel like their vote does not count or it's just not enough. Um, I feel like some people were upset about who won the primary. They're not voting for that guy or this girl or, you know, um, because they were upset that their party had lost. You know, then again, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of youth were activated, especially, um, you know, in light of the Parkland shooting and the March for Our Lives and getting youth involved, um, whether it be for gun control or even their own future as student loans and all the different issues that might affect young people today. So we, we saw an enormous push for, you know, youth getting involved in registering their own you know, getting involved in um, protests, either even by submitting art or, you know, getting involved in planning as well. Um, there's a wonderful organization, um, Girls Making Change, um, and in Detroit, and I'm always inspired mm-hmm. by all the, work, all the work that Gabby does with those girls. It, it is an amazing organization that we love to support. Yeah, I saw them um, a couple, well, maybe a, maybe about a month ago. And in fact, they were getting an award, and it was just like, wow, you know, look at these young women. But I think the other thing that between 2017 and 2018, that, that coming together, and, you know, and that people look at it and they think, when they think of feminism, they go like, oh, well, you know, it's white women. But, you know, there, was a, there were women all throughout it. Like you said, and there are many people who are disenfranchised who don't feel like, well, maybe my vote doesn't matter or, you know, you're not hearing my issues. And um, or you're taking us for advantage. I was telling someone, like, during that period of time, after there it started to be, like, um, some – some turnaround, and I was in an airport, and this woman was like, she was like, oh, and she said, I'm so happy about, you know, what had happened in some election, and she said, and she said, and I have to thank you, thank you, black woman, and I'm going like, you know, you know, are you voting, you need to be going and talking to your tribe, and making sure that they come out and vote, but yeah, it seems like especially the 53%. <laughs> thank you, but it looks like you have made a conscious effort, like you talk about bringing in youth. I mean, I know I was in, um, I, I, I went to an arbor again last year, um, and there was a, uh, a Muslim woman. There was an uh, uh, Asian woman. There were Native American. I, the next day I went and I went to Lansing, and you had made a conscious effort that up on that, that stage you had trans women. You had all of these women to where it was like we're all in this together, and that everybody got heard. How yeah. difficult was that to to get that? Or did you find that women were ready to sort of say, you know what, screw this stuff that's been dividing us. We have to come together because women can make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, women, women unite. We can make a huge difference. But it's important that when we vote, we don't just vote for our own interests. You know, um, I might personally not, you know, be affected by the immigration policies, but I'm looking out for my my immigration, my sisters who are, you know, her families and might be affected by that. I might not be personally personally affected affected by incarceration or 
just deep racial inequity in throughout every community. I mean, I, I was going to—it's everywhere. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm not voting, you know, for my black sisters, my trans sisters, my um, my Latina sisters. I mean, you know, you have to think about the community as a whole and how are we going to lift everyone up. Um, you know, I think that it's important, you know, for everyone to realize that this is this is going to be an ongoing fight and. Even as we, you know, we've been collaborating even with Canada a lot. We're doing an event um, next Thursday night um, with Windsor Canada Women's March, and they even said, you know, we're not, we're we, we're not we're not under Trump's rule, or you know, we're not American, but we're this all affects everyone. I mean, violence against women and this culture around the entire world against women. Um, I think it's going to take all of us to unite globally and to try to get this under under control. Uh-huh. Now, you know, that first year, yes, there's always that moment. It's like, okay, so suppose we sold our march and nobody comes. <laughs> okay, and they came. The second year, okay, did you have that moment of pause like, okay, we've been, we've been working this, we've been talking to people that it's just as important now that people, that women come out and we flex our our muscle and that we talk about this and that we come together and show that, you know, we weren't just, you know, mad because he got in there, but we are determined to build a world not only for ourselves and our sisters, but for our yeah. daughters and our granddaughters. So that sec- did you have a moment of pause in 2018 going like, okay, will the numbers be that Big? Will people come? Is it just going to be? Have we done our work? Yeah, um, you know, I'm someone who, in relation to like you know numbers for larger rallies, and you know, I I'm someone who I don't. Even, if we've had very meaningful protests with only ten people, mm-hmm. and then I've had huge protests where almost ten thousand people show up at the airport, and I think that, you know. I've never been a numbers person. That's probably why I can't, why I've never wanted to work for an organization where you have to report numbers back. Because I feel like, you know, you can throw a really meaningful event and make an impact, and you don't need hundreds of people there. Um, you know, and I believe even in this upcoming march in Detroit, we've put our heart and soul into this program, and our speakers are incredible, and our content for our workshops and what we've been developing. I mean, we're just excited that anyone would come, you know, or just, uh, you know, just come in and share the space with us and do some learning and, and get inspired, you know. I mean, you just need to inspire one or two people, I think, to make a difference. Um, and we saw that at the polls then in 2018. Mm-hmm. So many, you know, you register all these voters and you're, you're wondering, like, are they really going to get out and vote? Like, I'm not personally driving them. I wish I could. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. You know, and the numbers were high. I mean, our turnout, even up here in, like, Traverse City, huge turnout. But it, the numbers are still not where they should be. I mean, it was just a – it wasn't it, – it, you know, it wasn't a presidential election. Um, I do – I'm excited about seeing what happens in 2020. And I know that we have a lot of work to do. I see organizations getting divided up. I see um, movements fizzling down. Um, I've seen a few indivisible groups kind of um kind of break up and it's like this is not the time to give up we need this is like go time major go time 
um, we need to be organizing now for 2020's election. Um, and that's, I hope, what we inspire um, next Saturday. And that's what I hope we can really rev people up to get working even this year on the upcoming elections. Okay, now you sort of like stumbled into this for, uh, uh, for after the 2016. What did you learn? I mean, like you were kind of new at, this, uh, at doing this, like doing this. You know? Like this has become like you're not only your passion, you're working this. I mean, this is your, what you do. You get up, you think about it. What did you learn between 2017 and 2018? and that you're going to apply moving into, that you've applied building towards a 2019 march? I think first, and I've done this often, my New York accent just came out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll be in meetings or I'll be on a call, and I'll think I'll listen to everyone in the introductions, and then I'll realize, you know, maybe it's just a bunch of white women and we're planning this event like in Detroit. And it's like, wait a minute, who is at the table planning this from day one to be truly, I think the number one thing I've learned is working intentionally and intersectionally, even planning the March at the Charles H. Wright Museum. You know, the museum is a wonderful welcoming place and there are a lot of, you know, they're up to date with ADA um, and accessibility coding. But we wanted to even bring um, a woman who is interested and is disabled herself to get on the team and maybe go through things that we wouldn't think of, you know, like having things in larger print, um, making sure that we have cleared paths to certain elevators um, and give priority way to people in wheelchairs. And so it's just learning how to really, you know, I don't think any project is worth doing if we're not going to be intersectional about it, period. And I've, I've, I've closed calls off and said we need to reschedule. So a lot of people are missing. So let's send out some invites and get some more people on board before we even begin discussing this. Um, so that's probably the one thing I've learned. Um, and the second thing I've learned with this work is that if you feel comfortable, if everything's going great and you're not – you know, I don't know. If you feel comfortable where you are and everything feels fine and everyone's getting along perfectly, I think that's a signal that you need to reevaluate. I mean, I feel like we always need to be challenged. I feel that these uncomfortable conversations that we might forcefully put ourselves in are worth it um, for the good of the movement. Mm-hmm. And um, we're doing, we're trying to do a lot of that now because there are, there are divides throughout Women's March and many other organizations right now. So um, I think that those conversations are imperative to our success. Do you think that by being from outside of Michigan, okay, and that it, it allows you to, you don't take for granted that sometimes when people have been living and working together and this, that sometimes, like you said, well, we see A, B, and C here at the table, and that from being outside, you might go, well, where is this person? Where, and, and push the comfort zone. Do you feel that that's an, an advantage you bring or to this movement here in Michigan? Well, I have to say that I've learned, I've learned a lot, the majority of what, of, the majority of what I've learned about organizing, I learned in, in in conference rooms and at coffee shops in Detroit organizing. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, I did pick up a lot of things and, you know, growing up in New York and then living in New York City, but nothing like, you know, the work that we put into throwing events and, um, and just the conversations we have in the city of Detroit. I think it's this really special place. Um, and I think that I have so much more to learn as well. So it's a, it's a good place to stay and start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, that, that's one of the things I think Detroit is a great, a great movement place. But, you know, but, and there's also that part that because I think that we've always had people come here from wherever looking from, for better opportunities to be a part of it, that there's that part that, that's sort of welcoming and inclusive. It's sort of like if you're there ready to roll up your sleeves and do the work, it's like, well, hey, there's a place for you at this table. So, yeah. And is that what you found? Yeah, New York isn't like that. Um, <laughs> you know, I tried to get, tried to get involved in like being homeless and getting involved with the Bowery Mission. And I'm like, nah, uh-huh. how much are you going to donate? And, oh, sorry, there's a waiting list. You can't – we're booking two, two years out to serve Thanksgiving dinner. You can't help. Um, when I moved to Detroit, it felt like I would be a larger fish in a smaller pond just in general, whether it be in business or anything. But actually I was proven wrong because I think that the, the movements and the, the activities taking place in Detroit, I, I feel like they are – they are, believe it or not, I feel like they are welcoming um, and I believe that there, everyone is so open to everyone, you know, all hands on deck. I mean, we're dealing with real issues here, um, and I think that we need everyone, everyone at the table, and we need people to all work together to fix these issues. Um, so it's been really, it's been an honor to be welcomed into, you know, and I, I've worked hard to, to, get, to even get a spot at some, a few tables in Detroit. So I'm mm-hmm. grateful for that. You know, and no. I work I work throughout the state. I mean, I've worked in Detroit, mm-hmm. I've worked in Lansing and Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo and up in Traverse City as well. So it's good. It's good learning. It's really wonderful being here. And um I don't think I would want to move back to New York. I feel like uh they it's very hard to be an activist there. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, I talk to different people and there's different, there's different groups of people who are doing it. Like I know like the Black Women's Blueprint who are doing things. And I know that many of them talked with, with someone when they did the Black Women's March here, they'd done one there. I mean, so there, there's, there's, there's differences, but I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it's, I think it's six on one hand, half a dozen on another. So yeah. I'm going to ask you a question. So yeah, last year, I mean, I was all marched out. Like I had spent Saturday in Ann Arbor. And Sunday, and Sunday, we got in, and in, the, in, the, in fact, it was a friend of mine's, um, for her birthday, she wanted to get a bus with her closest friends and go to Lansing. So we got up bright and early, got on the bus, came to Lansing. Okay. Well, as you're trying to, how do you balance making sure that there are the right number of voices? Because I tell you, there were a lot of people talking. I mean, there were, you had a lot of people who were up there. And, and I, I recognize that you were trying to, to really paint a really good picture. But how do you balance that? How do you go, okay, 
this is enough. You know, everybody try to keep to, to like, X many minutes, which is like, you know, I mean, because, I mean, the day before, I had said, I've got my three minutes, okay, that's if you just let me yeah. talk. But I know that, I mean, I know that there'll be times where people are going to do it and it's going to, so it ended up being more than three minutes. How do you wrangle all of that? And how do you, do you see it in your mind and say, like, you know, because you know, you don't know how the weather's going to be. Knock on wood, the weather was lovely. I mean, you don't know how the weather's <laughs> going to be. You want people to be there. You want them to be engaged. But, you know, there's also that logistic part. How am I going to make sure that everything is safe, that people can get in and out? There are people who, and, there, and I saw that, that people who are differently abled are going to have things that are accessible to them where they're going to be able to hear the message and be represented. How do you yeah. wrangle all of that and, and, and put it in your mind to say this is what it's going to be, you know? I think with you just need to assemble a really, really powerful team of kick-ass women who know who's doing the work in the communities. Um, and then you put that against how long are people going to stand? How, much, how long can people stand being outside in the cold for an hour? I think an hour. Mm-hmm. I think a rally should be an hour. Um, and you've got to have some music. You have to have some entertainment. Um, you need to have some chance. I mean, there's things that you need to keep the crowd going. Um, so we try to balance it out and always pray for good weather. Um, it's, it's, it's bad that we can't have these indoors. And it's also, even my <laughs> husband said, my husband said yesterday, he's like, man, it really, really sucks that you have to do this in January every year. Like, why can't you do it in, like, May or the summer? I said, I know, that would have been real nice. Fortunately, Inauguration Day is, you know, it's in, it's in January. But it um, shows we have true grit. You know, we're there. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, you have people up in Alaska doing, you know, an Anchorage working and stuff. And we're oh, Gander's. We can handle it. So Exactly. Um, and you know what? And we are best. women. And we are women. We just bundle up in our layers and we come on out. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm gonna be like, oh no, it's raining. I'm gonna stay home today. I mean, I'm sure there are women that do that, but um, you know, even DC this year looks to be very rainy. It's concerning. It's going to be even rainy in DC, so that might affect numbers. But people are busting in from around the country, so I think we'll still get a good turnout there. And um, I know people are bringing ponchos to wear over their down coat. So, mm-hmm. problem solved. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so, you know, last year it was about, you know, we talked about the midterm elections everywhere. It was like, you know, taking our power to the polls and doing it. As you sat back and, and saw the number of women who stepped up to run for office, um, who got elected, not only women, but people of color, members of the LGBTQ yes. community. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Hi, but did you feel like, you know, hey, we're doing this? Yeah. I mean, it was, it's coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, watching, watching, you know, even like Haley Stevens um, go to her office, go into her office for the first time um, to see all these women that flip districts or, you know, mm-hmm. even local school boards, um, people who made history this year. I mean, it's... Um, 
this we're just getting started. That's, that's the theme of this now. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, now is the time as an organization. We're working right now to develop a plan. We need more women running. This is just a, this is just practice. Mm-hmm. We need women to show up. We need to really show up in 2020 on ballot and at the polls. So um, I'm even personally thinking about running. I mean, we, um, I am a precinct delegate. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, mm-hmm. we need women to, to really, I think this has inspired people. And I can't imagine what it does for young children to see all these amazing women of all different colors, ages, and from all over the country, you know, coming to represent them in Washington. It's a really inspiring time. And um, that's the women's wave. And I think, um, you know, movements come and go, but I think this wave, it's building. And I feel like um, it's going to take some things out in 2020. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it was funny, um, and this was a while back, I mean, even before all of this, before Trump, I even... I'd say this yeah. even before Obama. I took a group of, of students to D.C. We did, we did lobbying, and they were, like, yeah. so impressed. I mean, first of all, that they were able to, like, I remember one kid saying that he went through less security than he did going into high school, and here he was able to be sitting down face-to-face with his representative, with senators, and telling them what they thought. So I can only imagine, but most of them were men, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of them were men. They didn't see a lot of people who looked like them. I will yeah. say that the women, you know, took the time to, to talk more with them than the men. But many of the men, it was like, yeah, 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 okay, thank you. And, you know, glad to see you. And, but the women took time to do it. So I can only imagine, like, now I would love to take a group of high school students up there, take them through, and see this change in the hallways of Congress. You know, yeah. When you, yeah, when you said, I mean, and it's sort of like we've talked about this. Like you said, like you did the first one, you wanted to the second one. We were talking about taking it to the polls, but is this even beyond your wildest dreams? Did you say, well, you know, we can do that? We talked about flipping the house, and we did. Yeah. You know, I mean, did you did you like this November? Were you pinching yourself and going, oh my god, but in a different good way? Yes, it was. It was really exciting. I mean, we had some we had some big wins, and we also had losses. I mean, I was very upset mm-hmm. that you know Stacey Abrams. I mean, that was a real, real exactly. upset. And I love me some better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was very sad. It put my put my dislike to Cruz highly. Um, but Beto was such a likable candidate, and I got to meet him in D.C. I went to a fundraiser of his, and um, he's such a charming man, and I really love what he doesn't says and doesn't everything. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, this is so inspiring, and I feel like people, I've already seen a bump in people messaging, emailing me, asking for resources on how to run, where do they start, are they able to raise money that women have? Like, am I even, you know, Personally, like, I don't have a law. I thought I, you need a law degree or you need to have this, you know, fancy profession to run for office. That's not true. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. a good example is whoever, you know, the person sitting in the Oval Office right now. I mean. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you look at um, anything's possible. And I've seen so many women step up and, 
even run for local city council and, you know, um, but you know, but even even with like people like Stacey Abrams, you know, it was a it was a disappointment. But I mean, this is a black woman in Georgia, and I have yeah. lived in Georgia, and to the point where I can recall going from one place to another and having people with with a work crew, and having. Yeah. A local person come up and asking us, like, oh, what were we doing there? And it was okay because we said we were working. And when we asked them where the black people were, they said, there aren't any here. In fact, I think he said, taint none. And, you know, and that they were in this other place. And I, I have friends who are there who said that Stacey Abrams went to just about every county in Georgia and talked yeah. to people and look how close she came. And then she didn't say, well, hey, I'm done. I lost. She's still fighting and doing a movement to keep things going. So, I mean, it also talks about the power that even in an electoral defeat, this woman has and what we can do. Yeah. You know, I, so mean, I, I think mean, that. It, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I mean, you know what I mean? But, I mean, those are some of the things that, you know, as you look at not only the people who got elected, but there were so many great lessons like that. Yeah. And I think a lot of these people are just getting started in their careers now. I mean, or, or just, you know, just this is just the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I know of a few people who are running for big offices in Michigan in the upcoming years, and um, people are really revving up, and this is just the start. So I, I'm, it's overwhelmingly exciting. You know, we have, have um, considered getting a 501c4 um, or even moving to that because I feel like there is a lot of political work and we want to help to get our sisters elected. So that's something I've always wanted to do and that might be in the future for us, for Women's March Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're going to take our second break and then we're going to uh, talk about this year's coming up. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. here on Collections by Michelle Ball, talking with Phoebe Hopps, and we're talking about the Women's March. You know, you were also talking about money, and, you know, one of the other things that I watched was in Florida, how Andrew Gillum, he didn't have a whole bunch of money, and again, it's about that, those contacts that he was out there talking to people, and he came really, really close. So, you know, how do you 
I know a lot of people go like, it's all about money, and I don't know I can raise all this money. And I know um, people look at Rashida Tlaib. She was out there. Mm-hmm. She was talking to people. How do you help people get over that fear that, okay, I'm going to have to go out and raise all this money, or I don't have money, like you said, I'm not a lawyer, I don't have this and that and the other. How do you get them beyond that fear into action? Well, we are planning, we're, we're trying to figure that out <laughs> because we would like to develop plans in 2019. Um, a, a combination of, for example, at our event, um, at our event at the Wright Museum at the Women's March in Detroit this year, we are actually having a segment, a workshop called In the Field. And it's going to be talking about, um, talking with campaign managers of campaigns that had been successful and campaigns that had lost, um, as well as some different candidates. And then we're going to be going, going into resources and how to get started. And we'd like to have a lot more of that type of event. I feel like, you know, if you give people tools and you help them get inspired, I mean, it is possible to run and to be successful in your campaign. And there are so many funds and so many resources out there to help women get, get the money they need to run as well. There's a fantastic organization called Sister District. And I think, I believe it's a, I know part of it is a group of women out in the Bay Area in San Francisco who, you know, they already have all their candidates straight out there. They were going to win. Um, so they actually took their funds and looked around the country and said, what races are really tight or where are women struggling and we're going to come in and give them money to run and make sure they have the funds. And we had several, several candidates in Michigan win. Um, and I know Sister Districts was a good help to them. So it's really exciting to you know, connect and just find and discover these resources and give these tools to women in Michigan. So we are working on a very good plan for that. Yeah, I know that there are there there are a lot of organizations because I know that there's a couple of women who I know who are running for seats outside of Michigan who I was supporting because I was contacted, you know, like she's doing this, she's doing that. You know, and the other thing is like the beauty and that's so refreshing is that these aren't your daddy's candidates. Okay? They're not getting mm. elected and playing by the patriarchal rules that have been established. They're there. They're being themselves. I find it amazing, and I love, you know, that suddenly we can't dance. You know, you know. Oh, here's a video of, a, um, oh yeah, and the name is yeah. Here she was dancing when she was in college, and they're going to show it as being bad. I mean that we can't curse. That we can't. Um, that they have to talk about whether or not we can wear a head covering and what's appropriate things. I love when Kristen Cinema came in and was like channeling, I don't know, like a Marilyn Monroe kind of thing. You know, like she's, she, we're able to come and bring our authentic selves to, and we're breaking that mold. I mean, you're, you're saying not only are we going to be there, we're not going to be there and get in our, our little business suits and, yeah. and act respectably by their terms. We're bringing our authentic selves, our passion, our concerns there and, and doing it our way. And how important is that to, I mean, is, as you talk about going into that, to this blue wave, I mean, that 
we want the blue wave to really be a woman's wave, not just like, well, the blue wave is just like the regular Democratic Party, but, but we want it to be unique and authentic, our candidates yes. who are coming there to represent us. Yeah, and that's why I think the women's wave, you know, is so powerful. Because, and then some people don't, some people are more maybe perhaps independent and or, you know, vote around Green Party or some people are anti-party. You know, they don't want to just uh-huh. vote blue or vote red or kind of be told, you know, fill out the bubble and fill out this side of the ballot. They want to decide for themselves. And young people, millennials like me, we don't want to be told who to vote for. And mm-hmm. or what's right, and you got to vote for them. They're they're the ones with the best chance of winning. We're voting for people who represent us best and are going to better our society. And feel like women's wave and something like that. It's it, you know, even though the wave is blue, because water is blue. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there's a little <laughs> wink, wink on that. But um, you know, I think it. it it feels more. It feels more welcoming, and it feels, you know, like something we can all get behind. Because women, women are underrepresented in government, and um, I know there's just so much work to get more women involved. And you know, and I think that women representation matters so much because women are going to look, you know, at childcare. They're going to look at women's health. Um, women often, you know, they care for the whole family. They're going to be, mm-hmm. you know. They're going to care about gas prices and budgeting for a household. And, you know, they don't want to work three jobs and still not have health insurance like my own mother did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like women are the soul of this nation. And, you know, we are responsible. Um, and we have a, a better feel about, I don't want to say this, but we have a better sense of reality of what it is to raise a family in this environment right now. And, you know, and... We have all different viewpoints. And so to me, you know, I don't want to be just labeled blue because, you know, women are concerned about all kinds of issues. Who has to budget? I mean, I often, especially if you're a single parent, you know about budgeting your money. And so, you know, you want people who are going to bring everything there and, I mean, and who are going to think across all kind of look at ways to make a way, which is what women do. You know, if you go and I often tell women, if you go in your, in your household and often, you know, we say, oh, she's just a housewife. No, she's scheduling, she's managing, she's recycling, she's finding new resources, she's doing it. And that's what this country needs. And you also have empathy that, you know, that you understand that people are trying to come here for the same thing that you want for your child. And a child who is hungry and undereducated, whether they are immigrants or rural or urban, we yeah. all want the same and the best for those children. And yeah. that's where women can come together. And, you know, I don't know if I want them to wear blue hats. Maybe we have to wear a lovely lavender. <laughs> or a I love yellow. a lovely lavender. You know, you know or black yellow, but, you know, but, but, but really, you know, that's sometimes what we have to come come for. I can I can respect someone who is pro life. Yeah. Okay. If that's what they are, but I want them to be able to say that pro life means that for that child here, 
that's born that they have a right to a good life. And if, you know, if you're just about not having kids, you know, that's your own personal opinion. But surely as women we can come together about what kind of future we want for our children, all children. And, you know, and to bring all of them into this women's wave. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's, that brings me into, you know, the, what we're talking, you know, talking about in Detroit, when we first started thinking about what this march would mean and what, what the purpose was to have it in Detroit. And we began thinking how, you know, oh, so it's a women's wave. I'm sure everyone at home is hearing about this women's wave. But how is this going to better my everyday life? You know, um, for women who are taking, you know, it takes three hours by public bus to get to work, and they are struggle with child care. Um, I know so many. I I know so many women who struggle basic health care or cho- having to choose between uh-huh. medication or maybe taking care of an elderly parent. And you know, what is this women's wave about, and how is it going to affect me, and why should I even care? You know, what is this? How is this actually going to better my everyday life here in Detroit? And I think that we are hoping to answer that question during this event on Saturday the 19th. You know, we've um, a, a large a large portion of the event is going to be talking about um, inequality and and poverty and how it affects everyone in our community and how we can't let it happen. Um, so we're really excited about you know bringing these conversations you know to the event and and hopefully having them throughout the year. Uh-huh. And you know, and to how to break those conversations up because I know, um, like you said, the like the the fair wage uh, law, and I was at some place, and there's a woman who was there who was talking about it, and she was telling how you know she had two jobs and had she had to go from one place to another in order to get there, but then she started to talk about what it meant about getting her kids up early to take all these buses to get there, and you saw like. Mm-hmm. You saw like the veil dropping around some of us, but when she said to to the group, she said, and there had been months when she had to decide between buying tampons and buying food. That yeah. is something that no matter there's a woman who is affluent who sat there and she said, no woman should have to do that. That makes absolutely no sense, and it had never been said and a direct conversation to her, and something that she could relate to, you know, something that's yeah. so, and, and it's how important it is that women have these conversations and that they feel, because, yeah. I mean, you could see that some people thought, like, why am I here? You know, why am I here? You know, yeah, the minimum wage should be better, but how does that affect me? Everything's going to go up. But to recognize that this costs you. And that this takes away someone's humanity, something at a level that you can do, that you can relate to. Yeah. You know, and we've seen it this year, um, people working in collectives, like the child care collectives are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are re- we've we got to come together as a community and create these resources for all women and, um, you know, creating workspaces that allow ch- children, you know, I know there's so many different organizations. Um, there's one real, I believe it's Honey, Right, up in Royal Oak or Ferndale, and um, I, I see a lot of these spaces opening and these opportunities for women mm-hmm. are really, really where it's at. Um, or even, you know, I know that up in Traverse City, the Munson nurses came together to help 
pay off debt of a lot of people. And you're the, the nurses are trying to get their union, and they are trying to create this um, unity with the community so that they understand how important nursing is, as well as creating resources. Like, you know, if you get a cancer diagnosis, um, you know, you still have to get in your car and go home and go to work the next day probably. And what is there for you? Um, are people going to help you and deliver meals or, you know, what kind of resources and what kind of sense of community can we build with each other to um, make, make things better? Um, so I think I see a lot of that action happening on grassroots levels and I really, I really dig it. <laughs> I think it's the mm-hmm. future. Yeah. Now we're talking about a women's wave and, um, and we, you know, and I often talk about women who, who, you know, it just drives you crazy, the women who are, who vote against their own self-interest. But sometimes we put up barriers, you know. I mean, because I can recall after one of the marches being invited to something, and um, after a certain point, you know, we were all sitting there and we were talking and we were feeling real good and empowered, and there was a woman who was sitting in the corner kind of quietly, and she said, you know, she had been reluctant to come. And she said, I have to tell you, I voted for, for Trump. And she said, on one issue. And it was like I was waiting for them to all start shouting, crucify her, crucify her. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, and she said, because, you know, she was a, a good Catholic and she was, you know, pro-life. And she said, but now yeah. she recognizes having seen, you know, a year in how wrong that was. And she needed to be open her mind. And she said, and, and she said, I'm here, I want to learn. But there were some, of a, some in the group who just, you know, they didn't even want to talk to her. How do we, in, in creating this women's wave, make an entryway? for those who have seen the error of their ways and, yeah. and you know, and now get the bigger picture and want to be a part of this woman's wave. How do we make an entryway for them or so that they can make a soft landing and not worry about being, you know, beat up, you know, or, or you know, down um, or, you know, when they come in that maybe, and you know, they don't all have to out themselves as being that, but, that this is a safe space for them. They don't have to come in with a, a, a scarlet T on their chest, you know, but they, they have to come in and, you know, and be prepared to actually probably be an orange T, you know, but that they could, that they could come in and, and be a part of this women's wave. Well, you know, you think about women who might have voted for Trump or um, someone else, um, but... Mm-hmm. Also think of women, maybe maybe women who have never been involved in politics and it was just never for them, and they're also approaching this very cautiously because they don't, they don't know what to expect. They want to get involved, but they're just not sure how. You know, I think um, coming and listening, I mean, things that maybe getting involved first in things that aren't so controversial, like something we can agree on, all agree on, is that everyone has the right to clean water. Um, from Flint to Detroit to Kalamazoo, um, water is... We, we should be drinking clean water. Our children and Detroit public schools should not be, you know, having their teacher have to bring clean water in for them to drink in class. And so these are things that, like, you know, everyone can kind of get behind and everyone agrees that we need to do something about it. So, or just environmental issues, like with the pipelines and the oil pipelines that they want to build. And, I mean, these are things we can all sort of agree on um, across party lines. So I think... Approaching and getting involved and being open-minded and 
you know, I have my also realize like, you know, you might hear some things that are, you know, I've had my feelings hurt at meetings or at events where I didn't, I, I, I heard something I didn't agree with, but kind of grow some tough skin and realize that, you know, <laughs> you're just, I've been crying, I've cried in my car after a meeting, you know, who am I talking to? But, um, you know, learning that, you know, it's part of this process of learning and having this open dialogue and, um, not being too hurt, and it, it's really courageous. I mean, these are courageous conversations. These are courageous moves to even get involved or say, I'll, I'll volunteer at a table or I'll, 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 I'll get people to sign a petition to shut down the pipeline or, you know, I mean, just small baby steps, you know, and, and know that, you know, we all started somewhere. I mean, maybe you're like me and you just went to a rally one day by accident, you know, the day after mm-hmm. the election. Um, there are small ways to get involved. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we are women. We tend to be forgiving, you know. Well, we might give you the side eye, but, you know, as long as you've seen the error in your ways and you're ready to roll up your sleeves and do it, we're going to welcome you and, you know, learn, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, and I think that that's really important that, you know, that women understand, you know, you are just because you did, you know, Tell them you're going to go get your hair done and come on down to the rally, you know. Yeah, um, but, you know, but it, but it's so important, and you know, and it's not only about us. Do it for yourself. Do it for your sisters. Do it for your mother, because aging issues are things that we should be concerned about. How yes. women live when they age, and do it for those those girls and women yet to be born, and for some of our sons, you know, who are going to need, you know, clean water and education. We're doing it for our children because hopefully in the future it will be about for our children, not that we have to get parity and do it at all. We'll start with parity and then move forward. So 2019, you've registered, you started your work. You started your work the day after, the day that the 2018 rally was over, and probably the week before, you had started planning for 2019, I'm sure. Uh, we did a little break, but yeah, I mean, we, we've been planning, planning for quite a while, and uh, we're really excited about this year's um, Women's Wave event. It's going to be really, really cool. And um, there are some different segments, too, to it. So it's not just a parade or rally. It's a... Uh, it's a it's a day of activism. So mm-hmm. now I know here and I now I do know that there are buses that are going to DC. Have you organized some buses from here going to DC? Yes, we have we have buses, and I believe today the um at a time of I'm um, talking with you today might be the last day that the rally buses are open. But um, mm-hmm. there are several buses. I know my friend Millie Hall, she's doing a, um, mm-hmm. a wonderful bus out of Southfield. I think that they have still have some spaces. Um, so there, there are a bunch of buses going. And I know a lot of people who, there were some phenomenal airfare rates. You know, I know a friend who got round trip 120 from Detroit Airport. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people who are heading down this year and, some people who are staying right here in Detroit or heading to Lansing on the day after, on the 20th. So there's a lot happening here, too. Okay. Now, for clarification, what is happening in Michigan? Because I know, and I'm going to try to, um, leading up to start to post uh, locations to get um, contact information for buses to go down there. Um, 
and also the events that are going. Now, I've received a number of emails, and sometimes it's kind of confusing. What is happening in Michigan? Yes. So we have several sister marches. The main sister march this year is in Detroit. Um, we okay. chose Detroit because Detroit is the, larger, it's the largest city. Um, we have so much activism here. And I love, I love a protest at the Capitol in Lansing, but we've done that for a few years now, and we really felt like it was time to give Detroit a shot. Um, you know, it is, I remember living downtown with Detroit with no car. I never went to, I never got to Lansing. It's not an easy place to get to if you don't have transportation. So, um, whereas a lot of friends that I know who live in Lansing have cars because they have to get to school and work in Lansing across uh-huh. town or, um, so we did choose, we chose Detroit this year, um, and we're pretty excited about that. But I know that there are so many marches. Um, I can provide a full list um, for you to share um, on your website or on a post, but we have many marches happening. Um, we have Grand Rapids. Um, there's something happening in Midland, in Adrian. We have several up in the UP even, Traverse yeah. City, um, uh-huh. Benton Harbor. There's, there's marches everywhere. So um, um, we are concentrating my team on the one in Detroit at the Charles H. Wright Museum for African American History, and that will be on the 19th, um, uh-huh. with with events starting at 9 a.m. So we're really uh-huh. excited to kick that off. <laughs> now, is there a central website page that people can sort of like go to to see yeah. what's happening? Yeah, um, it will be. Um, www.womensmarchmichigan.com and okay. that's, our, that's our organization. Actually, I just want to make sure. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. My husband, just, my husband has been helping me program the website. So it's womensmarchmichigan.org, O-R-G. So correction, uh-huh. it's womensmarchmichigan.org. And we'll be having, you can even watch last year's um, march to see what will what, be happening. And there will be information about the current events happening um, throughout our state, especially at the main march in Detroit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And after the march, what will you be doing what will you be organizing so, for? Yeah, we'll be um, keeping with that theme of women's wave. Yeah, we um, we're using this as a kickoff to a year-round effort. To the first thing is to have community conversations. So many of our, um, you know, at we're actually having on the flyer. Um, we have revealed our four workshops. And we're really hoping that, you know, the first one is Deactivate Hate, and it's going to be an ongoing series of conversations that we'd like to have in the community, um, whether it's um, anti-Semitism, um, racism, xenophobia, homophobia. I mean, these are issues that we need to get our house in order, you know, before we head out and head to the polls this year or the year after. Um, we're also working another um, we're working with families ripped apart about immigration issues. You know, up here on the northern border, there's a lot of stuff happening. And um, 
ICE is alive and well, ripping families out of their homes here and uh-huh. taking it throughout, even up here in the in in the farmlands and um, your whole state is vulnerable because of the border surrounding us, basically. Um, we're also that amazing. We're doing a workshop, Tales from the Field, and we hope to really kick that into high gear and partner with some amazing trainers to really and just inspiring women who both won and lost um, office to try to, you know, really inspire the next generation of women's wave. And we're also talking about equilibrium of poverty, you know, how are we going to create, um, an, you know, a, a society with equity and with supporting all women for amazing wages and, you know, to get their fair share of the dollar. So um, these are all ongoing things, and this is really our kickoff on the 19th. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. okay, now, you know, you're at the, you're, you have to admit that here in Michigan, okay, we did pretty good. Okay, we've got a governor. Uh, Attorney General, Secretary of State. I mean, you know, um, the head of a, of a court which just elected. You know, it's another woman. After this, these midterm elections, you know, that part looks pretty good here at Michigan. And there'll be some people who are going like, "Well, hey, we're in Michigan. We've got Gretchen. It's all good. We've got Gretchen, Dana, and you know, it's all good." But what would you say to women here in Michigan who might think that, you know, hey, job done, we can sit back? No, we we still don't have a, a, a fair, equal wage. We don't have paid sick time. You know, Mothering Justice and so many organizations uh-huh. fought for that um, earned paid sick time that was that did not go through at the end, um, that was a, a victim of the lame duck sessions. That has to get back on the table, and we need to push it through. Um, I also, I would love to see us be able to flip the Senate um, and really, uh-huh. you know, take control of our, our, our positions up in Lansing. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, throughout the state, whether you're talking about the local sheriff's office to the school boards, I mean, we need to get involved. You know, I I always said, some, someone's always telling me I should run for school board. And, you know, I, don't, I said, I don't have children. How am I going to run for school board? You can run for school board and not have children. There are old elderly men on the board for these things, making decisions uh-huh. for all the youth, and it just can't fly anymore, and we need to get involved and step up and be brave. And we, you have a community. You have a village of women ready to help you make it who will knock doors with you and drive you and maybe deliver meals for you when you can't you get home after 12 hours of canvassing. And, you know, we want to be there for women and really um, amp this up in 19 and 20. Now, you know, we've got women who are elected. And, you know, what is our responsibility to them? But they're also their responsibility to the women who help get them elected. Yeah, I mean, I'm already seeing it. I mean, I think that, you know, people like our Governor Gretchen, I mean, she has hit the ground running, putting things in place and same with Dana and Joss. I mean, I'm already seeing these sparks of really, of, of them keeping to their promises and even even exceeding, you know, what we expected. So I think that we're in for a really, really exciting time in Michigan. Um, and I feel like, you know, we do have these amazing women also down in D.C. representing us as well. And um, I look forward to visiting them at their offices real soon. So, um yeah, I think holding people accountable is really important. 
And there are still, you know, people, I know my own congressman up here, Jack Bergman, um, he votes along the Trump lines 100%. And mm-hmm. we are planning, we're planning a bunch of things um, to rev him up and kind of hold him accountable for all the things he's been doing. So I think it's important, whatever side of the aisle you're on or they're on, um, to hold our politicians accountable and um, to build these good relationships with the ones who will allow it. For so long, we didn't have people like Alyssa Slotkin and, um, you know, Haley Stevens in office. You know, they, they, the citizens and the constituents of these districts weren't even given a town hall. So it's exciting that, you know, I know Haley has a town hall this Sunday. I'm going to try to attend. Um, so it's exciting to see that they're already listening to their constituents and representing us in government. Well, you know, because I know, okay, um, when we were talking about the government shutdown, the money for the wall, and, you know, I was talking to somebody, I said, you know, and you have to call them, and, and someone said to me, well, you know, well, you don't have to call. I mean, you live in Southfield, so you've got Brenda Lawrence. You know where Debbie oh, Stabenow is going to stand. And, you know, and, you know, Gary Peters, is. I said, no, but it's important not only that you call them with, because you know to let them know that you've got their back. You know, yeah. but also to, you know, to reach out and maybe go to another district and help help do phone calls, talk to people and do that. So it's not that simple to say, like, okay, well, I got mine. I don't have to do anything more. It is really crucial that we continue to, you know, support these people, uh, yeah. you know, because I'm sure that some days for all of them, you know, you don't want to walk them down the house and keep them for that fight, but they have to know that we've got their back, and yeah. we have to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, okay, so you told us the website, and I looked, and there's a lovely picture of you on it. <laughs> oh, is there? Uh, um, okay, now you know you can't slow down, because you and I both know Danielle Atkinson, Okay. Okay. I love it. So, 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 you, so there's there's no cutting slack just because you're pregnant. You know <laughs> that is, that is that is I the know. mama activist. You know it you is know. it is mama yeah. activists are amazing. I did not understand it until today, and you know we are. I'm thinking about the future of my children. You know, uh-huh. I mean that I'm that's who I'm marching for this year. You know, the first march hashtag why I march and it's a great hashtag to just look on social media and it's why people march because everyone's not there for the same reasons right and um so this year I'm marching for my future family and my children Uh it's been a really exciting time for me personally and I feel like I'm making my own personal women's march in a way so I do I'm Uh gonna need a a little extra time for my family but um I think that this is just inspiring me to get even more involved and more uh-huh. more on fire and really rev this organization and our work up. So, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. So that's oh, like you said, maybe if you can't vote for women who feel like they can't march or they don't want to dive in head on, there are small, simple acts that you can do and influence yeah. those around you and create change in your community just by being the amazing woman that you are, that each of us are, mm-hmm. you know, and we just yeah. have to remember that. Yeah. And, you know, just finding your power and 
realizing that you have a you have a you have friends at Women's March Michigan who will help you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we so people come to all with, to us all the time with projects or they see things that really upset them, and you know we're mm-hmm. we're here to really get behind people and help them with the issues. And you know, we're always looking. I'm always looking for a rally or something that how we can help and make some change here. So. Mm-hmm. And you're just not, and you're just not a once a year thing. You're around all year, and year you know, you're year doing round. It, uh, you're year <laughs> round where you can connect with and do it. Well, Phoebe, hats off to you. I'm I'm so Thank glad we so had this much. time to talk to it. I know at some point over this this weekend we'll see each other, and if not that, then we're going to make time to see each other throughout that. Um, and you can give your husband a hug for me. You know, because behind every great woman should be a useful man. (laughs) Should be a useful, supportive, and loving man. Because, and you know, and that's the other thing Austin tell women is because women see that, boys see that. It's not a competition, them against us. We're all in this together. So I thank you for your time. I want you to take care of yourself. Stay strong. We need you. 2020. Absolutely. (laughs) We've got work to do. We have work to do. We certainly have work to do. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm excited. And thank you so much for highlighting our organization and our work. I really appreciate it. We appreciate your show. So thank you. Okay. All right. I want to thank today's guest, the founder and president of Women's March Michigan, Phoebe Hops. The main focus of this year's Michigan March will be at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History in Detroit. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.